the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today as we continue our study in the book of 1 Samuel, it looks like Saul may finally capture David, but God intervenes. We'll pick it up in 1 Samuel chapter 23 verse 14. Once again, that's 1 Samuel chapter 23 verse 14. Verse 14, and David abode or settled down in the wilderness in strongholds, and he remained in a mountain in the wilderness of Ziph. Now, when we read the word wilderness, I don't know about you, but I, I usually kind of think of, uh, you know, um, kind of like uh, if, if you drive out in like the west side of Texas and there's just nothing like an I-10 for all those miles, that's kind of how I perceive the wilderness. But, but the over there, the wilderness, particularly back then, not so much these days down south, uh, but because it's much more barren down south these days. But back then, they were like forests. There was a lot of a lot of trees. It was a deserted area. That's why they call it a wilderness. It just means a large tract of of, of sparsely inhabited land. It doesn't have a lot of sustenance, so people hadn't settled down there. So David and his men they settled down in it says the strongholds of this area where people aren't living. Uh, The word strongholds means the rim rock. Uh, These were secure locations high on mountaintops or hilltops. So David's up on the high ground where people aren't living. It's probably not easy to live up there, but at least it's free from danger at this point. And it tells us it's in a particular mountain in the wilderness of Ziph. Uh, Ziph was uh, southeast of Keilah, probably about 15 miles. It's near the middle of the Dead Sea, but not up against the Dead Sea. So basically, we don't know how they got there. They wandered around for a bit while trying to stay undetected by Saul, and eventually they end up in these southern hills of Judah. But their disappearance doesn't keep Saul from searching. Note, it says at the end, and Saul sought him every day. Doesn't a king have more important things to do than look for one guy every day? Saul is consumed. But God delivered him not into his hand. <laughs> I love that. Saul says, oh, the Lord's delivered me into your hand. The Lord's like, no, I didn't. No, I didn't. Despite all Saul's efforts, God did not deliver him into his hand. If God be for me, what does the scripture say? Who can be against me, right? It doesn't matter how powerful that enemy is or how much energy our enemy expends against us. David And his men are as safe as they can possibly be right now, despite this awful situation. Because unless the Lord delivers them up, Saul will not catch them. Verse 15, 
As Saul is searching, apparently one of his searches brings him right next to David, verse 15. And David saw, he became aware of, is what that means, that Saul was come out to seek his life. And David was in the wilderness of Ziph in a wood. So Saul was currently searching in this region of Judah. So he's close to David, even though he hasn't found David yet. And David is in, mentions this in a wood, it means a forest on a hill. David's in this forest on a hill and he notices Saul and whoever, whatever troops Saul's brought to the region to search for David. But what is so cool about this is while Saul can't seem to find David, somehow Jonathan does. Look at verse 16. And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David into the wood and strengthened his hand in God. And he said unto him, fear not. For the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you, and you shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next unto you. And that also Saul, my father, knows. And they too made a covenant before the Lord, and David abode in the wood, and Jonathan went to his house. What an interesting encounter here. I don't know if Jonathan came out to look for David at the Lord's prompting, and that's how it doesn't tell us that. But it mentions here that somehow he found him, and it says that he strengthened David's hand in God. Now, the, the hand is an important object in Scripture. It, it speaks of the, the force and the ability which is necessary to complete a task. When it talks about God's going to bring them out by his strong right hand, it's referring to the fact that God has all the ability, all the strength, all the force necessary to do what he says he will do when he's saying that. And so David has been given a task by the Lord. And so when Jonathan finds David somehow, he gives him some extra strength to finish the task that God has set him on. And how does Jonathan do that? Well, it tells us in verse 17. It says three things. He says, fear not, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you, and you shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next unto you. And that also Saul, my father, knows. He says, fear not, which you don't say to somebody unless they're scared. David was frightened. And when someone is frightened, they need some extra strength. But Jonathan doesn't lend it to David just by saying, hey, man, don't be afraid. He says, fear not, but then he gives David three reasons why. He says, number one, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. My father shall not find you. My father might be putting the energy necessary, his hand, he might be putting the energy necessary to accomplish his plan to kill you, but he will not be successful. It is so important to remind a fearful person, if you have a friend or a family member or someone you come into contact with that knows the Lord and they are frightened, it is so important to remind them that the enemy will not prevail. They need to know that. It doesn't matter how hard our enemy is working against them or how much it looks like the enemy is going to defeat them. They will not. We already know how the story ends for us because the Lord tells us that we win. Amen? It's so important to tell someone that. Listen, however this plays out, you will be victorious. The second thing he tells him, why he should not be afraid, is he says, you shall be king over Israel. My father shall not find you, but you shall be king over Israel. God will keep his promise to you, David. The second thing when you're trying to minister to someone who's afraid is it's so important to remind a fearful person of the promises that God has made to them in Scripture. You got to tell them and say, listen, this is the promise that God has made to you. You know, Jesus confronted Martha 
when she was going through a crisis. She said, my brother's gone. And Jesus said to her, he said, you'll see your brother again. He'll rise again. And she said, that's not what I need to hear right now, Jesus. She said, I know he'll rise again at the last day. And he goes, no, 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 you don't understand. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he is dead, yet shall he live. He that believes in me shall never die. And then he, he just puts her right on the spot. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Martha's got a choice at that point in time. Do I believe in Jesus' promise right now? That I'm going to be all right? That my brother's going to be all right? And that death doesn't exist for the believer. But truly, my last ragged breath here is the beginnings of the first ones there. When you're afraid, it's important to know that and many other promises that God gives to us. Now, to be able to do that for somebody, you got to know what the scripture says, right? <laughs> you got to know what God's promises are. You just kind of saying, hey, I have hope for the future may give someone some good feels, but God's word is what gives us true strength, God's promises. Third thing that Jonathan says to strengthen David when he's afraid is he says, and I shall be next to you. You're going to be king, and I'm going to be right by your side. Now, what's interesting is God did not promise that to Jonathan or to David. So there is no failure on God's part when that actually doesn't happen, because that does not happen. In fact, unless I'm really missing something, as I was looking through the scriptures, I believe this is the last time that Jonathan and David see one another. This is it. This does not happen, even though Jonathan says, I, I'll be right next to you, buddy. You're going to be king, and I'll be your right-hand man. I'll be helping you the whole way. So even though that doesn't happen, that doesn't mean God broke his promise, because God didn't say that he would do that. But, but, how does it strengthen David when he's afraid? Well, it communicates Jonathan's commitment to David. He says, listen, my dad might be hunting you, but I'm not out here hunting you, David. You still have friends. You're not alone. And I'm going to stick with you to the very end. And it is so important when you're trying to minister to someone who is fearful that you let them know you will stick with them to the very end. The scripture that talks about how it says that the Lord is the glory and the lifter of our head. Back in that culture, if you saw someone with their head down and you lifted their head up and you said, why is your head down? What's going on? You were telling them not just because you ever do that. Somebody, hey, how you doing? And then they unload and you're like, whoa, I just being polite. I really didn't want to know. I didn't want to know all that. I was just being nice. The Lord never does that. I mean, when you hear the Lord's voice, he's like, hey, Will, how you doing? It's never, I'm like, oh, Lord, let me tell you, it's a mess. The Lord's like, well, well, you don't understand. I've got all this stuff going on in the Middle East, and there's a virus, a pandemic, Will. Really, I was just saying hi. The Lord's not like that. When he lifts our head up and says, how you doing? What's going on? He will see us through to the very end. Because he's the friend that sticks closer than a brother. But we need to be that friend to someone as well. If we lift up their head, you look terrified. What's going on? We need to let them know we're going to stick with them to the very end. And I love what he tells David. He goes, and that also Saul, my father, knows. Well, what does, what does Saul know? What is he referring to here? Is this the idea that David would be king? or that Jonathan would choose David over his own father. Well, 1 Samuel chapter 24, verse 20, when David has a chance to kill Saul and does not, Saul says to David, 
in verse 20 of chapter 24, And now behold, I know well that you shall surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. So we already know that Saul knows this. He knows that God has picked David to be his replacement. In his heart of hearts, even though he's deceived himself, if he can get through all that junk that is pushing all that truth down, suppressing all that truth, he knows that God has anointed David to be his replacement. That being said, I think Jonathan, though, is revealing to David that he told his dad about their covenant. I think that's what he's telling David here, because that's the very last thing that Jonathan says. He goes, and I shall be next unto you, and that my father knows right well. I think they sent David, I I told him, I told him about our covenant. I told him that I'm not going to kill you. When I got back and he asked me, why didn't you bring David with you? I told him why. I said, we're in covenant together. I'm not going to do any harm to him, and he's not going to do any harm to me, Dad. I don't care what you say. And what's interesting, I think the encouraging part that Jonathan's sharing this is because my dad didn't kill me when I told him that, David. That knowing that Saul didn't kill Jonathan despite having that information would be an extra comfort to David. He wouldn't have to worry about his friend. In other words, in all this he's saying, David, God's brought you this far. He's brought us this far. He's going to see us through to the end. And so verse 18, they decide to settle it. and says they two made a covenant before the Lord. And so then David stayed in the wood and Jonathan went to his house. What kind of covenant do they make here? Do they just reaffirm their old covenant? It doesn't say that. It seems to be some kind of new covenant. And if the language here is any indication, then it's probably a covenant that they would govern side by side when God made David king. And so with that done, I love David doesn't flee anywhere because he knows Saul's not going to find him. And Jonathan goes back home, which means Saul didn't find him. Because if Jonathan went home, it means Saul went home. So Jonathan was right. Saul did not find David. Wouldn't you like to have a best friend like Jonathan? What an awesome guy. He must have been the best friend in the world to have. How could you leave a conversation with him and not be convinced about staying on the right path? And like I said earlier, though, the sad part is, I think this is the last time Jonathan and David are together. So here's the question. Why didn't the Lord let Jonathan and David rule together? Why why is this it for their friendship when it's so good, it's so mutually encouraging? Why did God let Jonathan die in the final battle with the Philistines that took Saul's life? Why do these two friends never get to fulfill their dream? Bible doesn't say But know this, while losing a friend like this hurts, while seeing dreams unfulfilled stings, the Lord knows what he's doing. Trust him like David and Jonathan did, despite this not going the way that they had hoped. Well, verse 19, then came up the Ziphites. So this is after David doesn't go anywhere and Saul goes back home. Then came up the Ziphites to Saul to Gabeah, saying, Does not David hide himself with us in strongholds in the wood and in the hill of Hakilah, which is on the south of Jeshimon? Now therefore, O king, come down according to all the desire of your soul to come down, and our part shall be to deliver him into the king's hand. Uh, The city of Ziph sits on a massive flattened hill, which gives a, a panoramic vision of the region, including the area where David and his men are hiding, up high. They would be able to see that from Ziph. So, Apparently, they notice some of David's men moving around, and they come to tell Saul. 
And they tell him, we know exactly where he is. They say he's in this hill of Hakila, which is on the south. Jeshimon is actually two words, the desert or the wilderness. So basically just saying, we know where he's at. He's in this specific hill in the desert. And it doesn't tell us what they plan to do to lure David out to catch him, but they're clearly siding with Saul in this conflict, which Saul again misinterprets as God's blessing. Look at verse 21. And Saul said, blessed be ye of the Lord, for you have compassion on me. My own, my, all my leaders don't care about me, but you've had compassion on me. The word compassion means to show kindness to someone who's in an unfavorable situation or a difficult situation or a dangerous situation. How is Saul the king in an unfavorable situation here? How is he the one who's in a difficult or dangerous situation here? The only true difficulty or danger that Saul is in comes from the Lord. No one else is out to get him. Certainly not David. And yet he paints this picture of David that isn't true to get people to favor him. And in doing so, Saul adds lies and slander to his sins. And yet, even though they propose this plan, Saul is not ready to go forward with it. He says in verse 22, go, I pray you, prepare yet, which means go ahead with this plan of yours. And no, which means, but keep gathering intel and see his place where his haunt is. Uh, it's a complicated phrase in the Hebrew. Basically, it means find out where David and his men have made their base. And then he says this, and who has seen him there. In other words, talk to the people who've actually seen him. Don't just listen to word coming down the line. Find the people who actually had eyes on him. And see, therefore, he says, for it is told to me that he deals very subtly. The phrase means he deals clever, clever. It's doubled in the Hebrew for emphasis. He is very clever. He is a smart guy. And I'm not just going to go based on because somebody saw somebody who saw somebody who saw David. Go and find out exactly where he's at. Confirm it. Talk to the people who had eyes on him. Get me perfect intel here. See, therefore, and take knowledge. The phrase see, therefore, means because he's so clever, you need to make sure this intel's correct before I come down. Take knowledge of all the lurking places, all his hideouts, and come you again to me with the certainty, and then I will go with you. And it shall come to pass, if he be in that land, that I will search him out, out throughout all the thousands of Judah. So Saul, he says, I like this plan, but because David slipped out of my grip a few times, he, he says he's hesitant to support the plan until they have harder intel. He says, if you can give me that, and you can prove to me that David's there, I will chase him all over Judah if I have to. And so the people of Ziph that betray David's location, they're good with this plan. Verse 24, they arose and they went to Ziph before Saul. But David and his men, they were in the wilderness of Maon in the plain in the south of Jeshimon, just like where the people of Ziph said where he was. They weren't on the mountain at this time, they were down in the plain, but it's the same general area. In other words, there's no new intel to gather. David is exactly where they said he was because he doesn't know anyone's coming for him. So they tell Saul, and this time Saul does come down. Verse 25, Saul also and his men went to seek him and they told David. So now David finally gets the news. Up to this point, David has no clue there are plots against him that the men of Ziph are betraying him. But when Saul's army moves into the region, he finally gets news. So David, it says, it was told David, wherefore he came down into a rock, literally it means from the clifftop stronghold. So they had gone back up. Now they got to get out of there because they do not want to be a sitting duck up there for Saul to pick off. And so they come down and they abode in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard that, David had moved his men to the lower region. When at some point Saul finds some proof of David's presence, 
because this time he doesn't give up. He pursued after David in the wilderness of Maon. And this time, Saul actually outsmarts David. Look at verse 26. And Saul went on this side of the mountain, and David and his men on that side of the mountain. So David is kind of in, a, in this kind of slow retreat, moving away from Saul's troops, and there's this hilltop, this mountain in, in between them. And so Saul decides to cut him off. David's going around this side of the mountain, and Saul decides, I'm going to come around this side and beat him to the exit point. And Saul does. Look here. And David made haste to get away. It says, for fear of Saul. That's the phrase for fear is not in the original language. So I, and I have no clue why the translators added that phrase. He's not afraid. He's just hurrying. He says, he made haste to get away from Saul, for Saul and his men compassed David. They had gotten him surrounded because they got to the exit first, and his men were roundabout to capture them. When, when David realizes he's, he's been beat to this destination, he and his men, they begin to hightail it in the opposite direction. But, but there's not a lot of hope in this. Saul's got enough men, he can surround him from everywhere. And so because Saul has more men and because Saul knows where David is now, I mean, David is done for. There is no way Saul's going to let up at this point. There's nowhere that David can get away. But like Jonathan said, the Lord made David a promise. And the Lord is on David's side. Verse 27, but there came a messenger unto Saul saying, haste thee, which means you must come at once they're, they're, they're with no delays. You can't waste another minute. Haste thee and come for the Philistines have invaded the land. The word invaded there means to make a sudden dash. The Philistines made like a blitzkrieg type of advance, a lightning fast strike into Israeli territory. And with Saul's army down in the south, there was no one to answer it. Saul has no option but to turn around and to head up to confront this invasion and therefore let David escape. Wherefore, Saul returned from pursuing after David and he went against the Philistines. And therefore, they called that place Selah Hama Lekoth, which means the rock of separation. The idea is that there was all there was between Saul and David was this hill and David was trapped. And yet, that was enough because the Lord had something in place already that was going to keep Saul from sealing the deal, from closing the door. And so, David went up from there and he dwelt in the strongholds at En Gedi. En Gedi is much farther east than the wilderness of Ziph. Uh, this is a major oasis area along the western side of the Dead Sea. It's about 35 miles from Jerusalem, so very far from Saul. It has date trees and tons of natural springs there. This is the best possible place to hide out if you have nowhere to go. And so there's David in En Gedi, and he's safe for now. So, David, at every step of the way, he sought the Lord, right, in this whole chapter. Even though it got scary, right? Every step of the way, he sought the Lord. So here's the question. Was David's trusting heart rewarded? Yes, it was. But that doesn't mean it was all roses and lollipops. Now, here's the truth. If you have a trusting heart, a heart that's trusting the Lord, that's okay. That's okay. Because God won't break his promise, even when it looks ugly. And when your heart is trusting in the Lord, 
even when he exposes you to danger, it's the safest place you can be. Amen? Amen. I just want to leave you with Psalm 23 because it's so important to remember this song that David wrote later on in life. In Psalm 23, it says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I won't lack anything. Or I might lack some some things maybe I wish I had, but I won't lack anything I need. I won't really lack anything. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. Do you know why sheep have to be led by still waters? They're skittish. They frighten easily, particularly water, running water. So you've got to lead them beside waters that's not moving. You can't lead them to a, like a, a, a brook or a stream because they, they tend to freak out. He restores my soul. David had so many moments when the Lord had to restore his soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And you prepare a table before me. Here it is. In the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. David's saying, you're the one that brought me all this way through all this mess and put a crown on my head. My cup runs over. And so David declares at the end of all this, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at 407-523-0800 during our office hours, Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.